Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Good morning, I'm DK. If you can, please stand up for today's scripture reading. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 15. All right. Walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurities or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God becomes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try not to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that do not, that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now look carefully, then, how you walk, as not unwise, but as wise. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We are returning to our study uh, through the book of Ephesians, looking at what it means to sort of uh, be involved uh, in the church, practice faith and community, uh, and learn that together. And what I would like you to to know immediately and understand is, is that Uh, This is really not an abrupt change from last week of looking at Easter. We talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a historical, earth-shattering event that has broken into this world and has enormous impact on our life. You know, I mean, uh, the resurrection, though, it's not just a historical event. There's, there's been lots of amazing historical events. You know, people walked on the moon. That's a historical event, but has, has that had any effect on your life whatsoever? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical event that has impact because it didn't just happen historically. It happened historically for you and for me. And it can have enormous impact and life-changing influence on our life here and now because it means there is an ongoing presence in our life. It means there's an ongoing life-shaping presence for our, our lives. And what it means to be involved in the church and what it means to be in community, to be here in Journey South Bay, is to have a life that has an ongoing influence and presence of the living God. 
And so this morning, what I want to meditate and think with you on is, is, is the idea that God's presence is still abiding and living amongst the, amongst the church. And let, let's just meditate on that in two ways. One, uh, let's look at the nature of that presence. And then two, the practice of that presence. I mean, first, the nature of His presence. God's presence is with us. He is, he is with you. And what does that mean? Well, we really get to draw out what the meaning of that by looking at this metaphor that Paul gives us uh, in the text of walking. Uh, the, the text is bracketed with us. He says this in uh, verse 2. He says, walk in love as Christ gave us and gave himself for us. And then in verse 15, it says, uh, be then careful how you walk. Now, what, what does it mean uh, to walk? Well, uh, this really is... Uh, um, all throughout the Bible, a significant theological metaphor for what it means for God to connect and be in relationship with human beings. Uh, if you go back to Genesis 3, in the earliest text, one of the earliest texts in the Bible, when Adam and Eve um, uh, eat the fruit, they're, they're hiding, and it says, the Lord God walked among them in the cool of the day. Uh, Genesis 17, when God comes to Abraham, He says, Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. In Leviticus 26, when God is communicating to the Israelites about what it's like for them to be uh, in a camp in the wilderness and in communion with Him, He says, I will walk among you one day. I will be your God, and you will be my people. We even looked at this last week, that when Jesus rises from the dead, one of the first things He does is He goes finds two people to go for a walk. You know, walking is the way the Bible wants to give us a metaphor of thinking about what it means to be in a relationship with God. Now, what does the metaphor communicate? When you walk with someone, you get fellowship, you get intimacy, you get friendship. Because what walking is, is, is you get a real presence, a real personal presence. And let's pause on that for just a second. A real personal presence. I mean, presence, even today, when you email and text with someone um, over matters, I mean, there are people I've exchanged with uh, back and forth for work things. Um, I've communicated with them about something I'm going to speak on or write for them. Uh, somebody's asking me questions about Southern California, and we go back and forth for weeks or months. When I finally meet them face-to-face, what's the first thing you always say? You say, great to finally meet you. Even though we've dialogued and talked for months and weeks on these things, there's something about being in somebody's actual presence that where you get a part of somebody that no medium can give you. You get information, you get experiences, you taste this person in a way that nothing else can do unless you are face-to-face. Look, walking with God means that faith in Him is way more than intellectual. It's about tasting and experiencing His presence. It's about uh, being face-to-face with Him. Look, to think of faith, of Christian faith, as only intellectual, as, as I believe that there's a God who exists, would be like thinking about your marriage in terms of a sheet of paper for tax purposes. Look, faith in Christ means 
His presence is a real thing to touch every part of your life on, on Wednesday afternoons when you're long away from this room. So the point that you get in life where it, it's one thing, you know, to say uh, that God loves people. It's another thing for you to go out in life as someone who is loved, who is someone sure, who is confident that someone loves them. And it's because you have a presence in your life. You have an ongoing real presence, but it's a personal presence. I mean, the claim of Christianity in Easter is that Jesus is alive right now, that he, he is reigning at the right hand of the Father. He is a living, actual person, which means that his influence and his ongoing presence in our life is way more than like Abraham Lincoln. I mean, Abraham Lincoln only has an influence on you in your remembrance of him, of his character, of his writings, and his cause. But Jesus, a resurrected man, has given us his actual spirit, the spirit of his resurrection, to be an ongoing personal presence in his life. It means faith in him. The presence that you have is not just some random abstract spirituality. It's not an idea. It's not just getting in touch with the cosmos or anything like that. It's a person who you talk to, who had a name, who had a face, who had hands, who had a personality. Think about why you pick the people to spend the most time with in your life that you do. Why, why do you do that? It, it's because uh, you personally connect with them. It, it's because they have a voice. They have an ear. They have a kindness that you want and you crave. Only, and you can only get that in them. What, what if you had uh, the opportunity to spend time with their doppelganger? You know what I mean? Like somebody who looks exactly like them but it wasn't them. Would that in any way be a substitute for what you want? And you'd say, no. I want to hear their voice. I, I, I want their exact counsel. I want, I want their ear to hear exactly what I'm going through. And in a personal presence of a God, it means you have that. In the person who walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago, who's now reigning at the Father, you have access to that at all times in your life. In faith, means living and walking with that. Probably nobody put this better for us in the church than the 17th century French monk, Brother Lawrence. He wrote uh, an incredible little work called Practicing the Presence of God. And, and what is actually really helpful and astute about that work is he said that pr practicing the presence of God does not mean um, everybody in here needs to quit what they're doing normally during the week, and we all need to go out to Redondo Beach by the pier and spend two-thirds of our day quietly alone with one another, alone without each other, meditating on the presence of God. He actually said practicing the presence of God means going about life pretty much the same way you are, except you do it not for yourself, you do it with Him. He said this, he said, uh, we should fix ourselves firmly in the presence of God by conversing all the time with Him. We should feed our soul with a lofty conception of God, and from that derive great joy in being His. We should put life in our faith. We should give ourselves utterly to God in abandonment, in temporal and spiritual matters alike, and find contentment in the doing of His will, 
whether he takes us through sufferings or consolations. Look, the nature of God's presence is accessed by you having a walk, of of going through your life with an astute awareness of a personal ongoing presence on Wednesday afternoons of that resurrected man who has given his spirit to the church. That's the nature of his presence. Secondly, what does it look like to practice that presence? Well, throughout this text that we read, especially verses 3 through 14, Paul uses three examples to really draw this out. He talks about sex, he talks about money, and he talks about our language. And rather than sort of uh, doing a topical sort of sermon and addressing those in an isolated way, what I want to do is spend the rest of our time looking at what it means to practice the presence of God and, and sort of maybe apply a little bit of that. And practicing the presence of God, it, it really means three things. It means you are exposed and totally accountable. It means you are growing and totally changed. And it means you are befriended and totally loved. Look, when you, when you practice the presence of God, it means you are exposed and totally accountable. Like you know something is wrong when someone re-enters your presence in a moment and says, um, what are you doing? Look, the darkest times in our life are always in the darkened. As the darkest things we have in life are done in secret. This is what Paul really means in verses 11 through 13. He says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Paul, he's saying that sin is it's like moss. It grows and it thrives in the dark. But the presence of God is like, is like light in the darkness. It's like having a present, ongoing companion where you're walking with someone face-to-face and they see you. I mean, to walk with God is to have an awareness of His awareness of you so that your sense that He is there it begins to bring about a wholeness to your whole life. Because when you are alone... There's an incredible slippery slope into the ability to not know what you're doing, to be lost in the idea of what's happening to your own life. Paul says this in verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sins of disobedience. Now, what in the world does he mean here? Because to the immediate ear, what that can sound like is that the presence of God is something that comes into your life and says, I'm warning you, if you continue in this stuff, God is going to come and get you. But that, that's, that's not what he's saying at all. Look, in that culture, the dominant belief at that time was Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism taught, uh, what was very common for people to believe, is that what you did in the body had no effect on your soul whatsoever. That you could do these things over here, it's just this, it's not that big of a deal, but what it does to your internal heart, your emotions, your long-term soul, those are two totally separate different things at all. And Paul is saying to believe that, you have to hide the darkness. That is, you have to tell yourself some things that are not actually real. 
what the wrath of God is, is it's not the idea of like some sheriff coming to town to arrest you or to arrest anyone who's like breaking the law. It's that God has designed life to be in such a way, in His presence, in His communion, that when we do not live that way, when we are not in harmony with that, life has a way of turning on ourselves. Life has a way of catching up with you. Life has a way of giving you exactly what you want and are chasing after. Think of it this way. Think of the wrath of God as if you were uh, to get in your car, to get on the 10, and just to drive east towards Arizona. And I come to you and, and say, okay, friend, listen, your car is full of gas. If you don't keep filling this thing up and, and addressing this along the way, you're going to run out of gas. And you look at me and you're like, I, I, I'm not doing that at all. I'm going to do my own thing. Nobody tells me what to do. I drive my own way. I'm in total freedom. Look, when you run out of gas eventually, like past Palm Springs, and your car is stuck in the middle of nowhere in the heat of the day, and you've got no access for miles and miles and miles, the wrath of God is not like somebody catching up with you and say, aha, I told you so, now I'm going to arrest you for this. It's giving you what you actually pursued and wanted which is a car stuck in the middle of nowhere with no way out, with no way to go, and nowhere to be. And when you're walking with God, the light of His presence is designed to constantly protect you from the mirage of that darkness. That you can drive a car in the middle of nowhere and, and, and not have the knowledge of what will happen on an empty tank. Now, let me apply this real quick to sex because that's what Paul is doing here in the text. In verse 5, when he says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure uh, has no inheritance of the kingdom of God in Christ. Look, he's not saying anyone who's done anything sexually broken is never tasting heaven. That's not what he's saying at all. For people who have done that, for people who are in that, and you feel remorse, and you feel brokenness, and you want healing, there is always forgiveness. There is a fountain filled with blood for atonement. What he's talking about are people who have so given themselves over to something that their very identity becomes synonymous with this struggle so that they're not somebody who struggles with sexual brokenness, but they are this. He's saying, make no mistake, you are giving yourself to something that is going to destroy you and what is so dangerous without the presence of God is that you have this, uh, this searing of your conscience to not know what you're giving. And there's almost nothing in life that we can give ourselves to on a dysfunctional level without the ability of, to know what we are giving ourselves to than sex. Look, when we get into sexual brokenness, we will justify anything to keep doing this. We will tell ourselves all kinds of lies. We will throw off every possible consequence to think, this really won't affect my life. This really won't affect that person's life. It's really not doing anything to anybody's life. And almost everybody can almost see the consequences of these things except ourselves. Now, some of you are like, well, this is just, you know, like harsh, you know, fundamentalist Christianity. It's really not. Um, 
there's this TV show on HBO Max that I, I uh, you should not watch, um, called Euphoria. It, it, it's actually a big deal, uh, very popular amongst um, younger people in our culture. That it is, uh, from one angle, people are like, why does TV always uh, glorify sex and drugs and this kind of lifestyle? But those who are really writing on that TV show are noticing something else. It's not glorifying it at all. Uh, a woman, uh, Caroline Downey, uh, she's not a Christian, wrote an article called Euphoria's Brave New World, uh, picking up on Aldous Huxley's famous book. She says this about the TV show. Euphoria shows that the malleability of identity is a home wrecker, and that home life matters for psychological well-being. Euphoria shows the ugliness and the confusion that results from the upending of social norms. The highs are artificially high, and the lows are the pits of hell. Now, one of the worst things in life that you can do is to create a lie that you can get away with it. To suppress irrevocable, inevitable consequences that everyone can sometimes see. And what the presence of God is in your life, what it means to walk with Him, is to have somebody always in your life that keeps you accountable and wakes you up to what is actually happening in your life, to say, look, do you know where this stuff is going? Or do you have the awareness to see where the end of this road is, that you're not getting away with anything? Walking with God means you're exposed and you're totally accountable, but it also means you're growing and totally changed. I mean, throughout this whole text, I mean, Paul is con- contrasting two different ways of living. Uh, he, he says, uh, you know, in verse 3, we must not even be like this. And then he says, uh, let there not be any of this. Instead, let there be like this. Now, that can sound like somebody uh, leaving you instructions uh, for taking care of their pet for the weekend. You know, make sure you do this, feed them this way, uh, don't ever let them do this, you be do this. But uh, the whole passage, when Paul gives these instructions and, and gives this counsel, is under the entire frame of verse 1 when he says, therefore, be an imitator of God. Now, what does that mean? When he says, be an imitator of God, he's saying, as you walk with me, as you are with me, become like me. He's saying there is something that now, because of faith in Christ, that has happened to you. There's something that's true of you, that has changed the purpose of your life, that's changed the whole outlook, that's changed the view. And what is it? It's in verse 8 when he says this, you were once darkness and you now are light. Now, did you notice that? He doesn't say you were in darkness and now you are in light. He says, you were darkness, and now you are light. He is saying, the whole of who you are, your whole identity has changed. You're a new person, so live with this identity. And what the walking with God will look like is is not God constantly watching you walk, and every time you stumble, there to mock you, point it out, and remind you of how short you're falling. What it is, is God walking with you and saying, do you know who you are? 
Do you know what has happened to you? Do you know what I've done to you? Do you know how new that you are? And wanting to remind you and inform you and empower you to this new identity and then walking with you like that. What does it look like to have a new identity in Christ and to embrace it? It looks like a walk. And the metaphor of that is so instructive because spiritual change is what it teaches us is not dramatic, it's rhythmic, it's slow, and it's something that you can actually do. Look, if you think about Christian change as a sprint, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. The Christian life is not like a sprint. It's not like running. When you're running, have you ever tried to run with somebody and been like, how's work going? How's your marriage been? I mean, you're just like, shut up, let's talk at the end. When you're walking with somebody, though, what you're doing is having deep, profound moments often. The sharing of souls, the dreaming of dreams, the challenging questions, the pondering of new possibilities together. What that means is that when you walk with God, pressing things in your life are not going to change through a crash course. That Christian change when God comes in your life doesn't look like going on a weekend away and having everything now different. It looks like gradual, slow, progressive changes that come through a walk. And if you don't think about it that way, it, it's very, it can be very problematic. Now, why can it be problematic? Because, look, anything in a relationship that you try to rush almost always means that you don't want the person, but you want what the person can give you. You know, some of you saw experience this in dating, um, where somebody, you're on a date, and you're getting to know somebody, and it's like the first time, they're like, um, so are you thinking about marriage? And you're like, your name again is what? And what you realize is maybe this person doesn't want me. They, they just want that thing. And there's a lot of people that want to change badly. And the reason they want to change is because the guilt and the shame is so heavy. And we can come to God and say, take this away. And the problem of wanting Him to take things away and not wanting Him is that you can be tricked into the idea that guilt and shame have been dealt away with with your own passion and obedience. And you can rev your soul and heart to the point where your engine is only riding on seven or eight RPMs and eventually it'll blow up. Look, growth and total change in the presence of God, it is a slow, progressive thing. What does it look like? Well, let's apply it to unwholesome talk. How do, you, how, do you, how do you measure how you're doing? Most people measure this with, okay, this week, I only gossiped once. Uh, I said one cuss word on Thursday, but it was on the 405, and they were driving terrible. You know, or there's the bad weeks where it was like, had dinner with my mother-in-law, don't ask. Everything was justified. But if you do that, then the Christian life will be just like this. And it will never feel like you're walking with God. It will feel like He's checking in with you only when you're doing well. I remember a pastor friend of mine one time was meeting with, some, with a, somebody who had just become a Christian. 
And, and he was telling them about how terrible he felt about an explosive kind of conversation he had with one of his friends where something went wrong and he, he said some foul language and said some hurtful, mean things to the person. And he just said, you know, I'm just so bothered why I did this. I'm wondering if I've even become a Christian. And the, the pastor had the ability to say, okay, look, did you care about this? Or she said, did you talk to people this way two years ago? And he said, oh yeah, all the time. And he said, did it bother you? And he said, no, I just kind of thought this was the way to step on people. He goes, isn't that incredible? He goes, here we are two years later. And when, when you do have these moments, you struggle. You're going, mm, I hate that I do this. And he said, when you, when you ache like that, you know what that is? That's the sign of God at work in your life. That's the sign of the Spirit, of your walking with the Spirit who is fighting the desires of your flesh and living like that. Look, walking with God gives you a presence where total growth and change, you know what it sometimes feels like? It feels like negative growth. It at times feels like you're getting worse. Why? Because your broken self is getting around in a holy God. And he's so holy and he's so beautiful that what it does is it wakes you up to the places that you are not. And so, friends, if you find yourself in lots of angst and pain, it's not a sign of unbelief. It's often a sign of nearness to walking with God because what growth will look like is it will look like total change near the presence of God. Look, walking with God, you're, you're exposed and totally accountable, you're growing and totally changed, but you're befriended and totally loved. And I'll be quick with this one. Look, walking is the currency of the intimacy of the Bible. And what it means to walk with the presence of God is that you're not doing this with just like a teacher and you're the pupil or the professor and you're the student or the coach and you're the player. It, it, it is like a parent and a child. He says this in verse 2, walk in love as a beloved child. You know what it means to be beloved? Beloved means to be worthy of love. That you and I are to pursue these things and respond in a walk as if you are a loved child. Now, this really comes alive when you think about it this way. This teaching in this text that we didn't have a ton of time to get into on sex and greed and talking, our language. It has teeth to it. And the feeling of the teeth will get heavier at times if you do not have a parent-child relationship with the living God. And sometimes, if it sounds harsh and abusive to you, you, you know what? It may not be the teaching. It may just be reflective of how, mu how much intimacy you're lacking in your own personal life in walking with God. Do you, do you know what kind of intimacy that you can have? There's a place in John 17 where Jesus is praying the night before that he is going to die for us. And he's praying, he's saying, Lord, I want them to be loved even as you love me. He, he's saying the walk that you and I have had from all of eternity 
to the depth of the intimacy that you and I have had, of, of the eternal trinity forever and ever and ever. He says, I want them to have that. He's saying, I want them to walk with you the way that I have walked with you. And you know how you get that? How you can walk like the eternal Son of God with the loving Father is because the living God became flesh. He walked among us. If you look up in a Bible concordance, one of the most common things you'll read about Jesus is that he walked. In fact, he walked more than anybody in the Bible. He was always walking with people. And his most famous walk was that he walked all the way to the cross for us. He walked into the darkness, into the works of our darkness, and took it on. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have I lost the child relationship of you, the Father, and had to call you, not Father anymore, but call you God? It's so that you and I, listen, can walk with God as a child, as a beloved child of the light. That everything that he counsels with us, all the accountability that he gives us, all the things to the growth of our life, it comes out of love. Great story about a famous sailor who was uh, sailing across the trans, uh, uh, um, from Britain over here to the United States, transatlantic voyage that he'd done many, many times, and it was his last voyage because he was going to bring his fiancée over from Britain to live here, and, and in the midst of their voyage, a huge storm broke out. Crashing waves, the only light in the sky from lightning, and as the storm is, is, is overwhelming their boat, the fiance comes up, and she says, you know, what's going to happen? She's terrified. She's afraid that she's not going to get the life that they're going to get together. She's afraid it's all going to come to an end. What do we do? And the sailor says, trust God, which is such a platitude in that moment. <laughs> She's like, what? He says, trust him. Trust the, what he's putting us through. And She's like, why should I trust him? So what the man did is he pulled a sword out and he put it up against her chest. He says, are you afraid right now? And she said, I'm not. And he said, why? She said, because I trust the heart behind the hand. He said, so too with our God. Look, th these, this language of fleeing the dark, work, the dark life of sexual immorality, the pain of gossip, and how broken that can be in a community. He, he talks about greed. You know how you get rid of greed? If you want to get rid of greed and covetousness, he says to you, now, you need to be radical. You need to be radical at giving stuff away. That can have teeth, but you know, if you know Jesus, if you are walking with him and you have the presence of the Father, trust the heart behind the hand. It is not out to wound you. It is out to commune with you. Let me pray. Father, Lord, we want to be a people that practice your presence, that know your presence, that are in the midst of your presence.
help us. Lord, help us by your Spirit that we would know you, that we would be able to have you, to taste you the way that your Son always had you, that we would be loved even as you loved him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.